really feeling like it was a bit of a, a physical manifestation of what I was going through at the time. I mean, that uphill struggle, not knowing where you're going to, having to sort of push through that pain barrier, just blind faith. Hi, welcome to Passing Outdoors. Uh, my name's Davy Wright. Today I have come to Ambleside to meet with Harrison Ward, also known as Fell Foodie. Harrison, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Bird. Thank you for coming. No, not, not a problem. We've got a coffee. Um, <laughs> and we're going to sit and just have a chat. Yeah. Um, so I think probably what would be useful is uh, just to give you just a bit of an introduction to yourself. And then we'll talk about how you got into the outdoors, where it started and, and, and just where that, that path's gone. Um, so... Yeah, just an intro to yourself. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess um, my name's Harrison Ward, also known as Fellow Foodie, as you stated. Um, I'm an outdoor cook, mental health advocate based here in the Lake District, really. So I tend to find me heading up the hills with a sort of big backpack full of gear, cooking sort of restaurant-style meals on minimal equipment up on the fell tops there. So I guess being known as a bit of a versatile cook, those fantastic sort of plates of food with the great vistas below, and just a great way I find of enjoying the outdoors in a different way. But uh, that's what I do these days. I mean, not what I was doing in the past, but... Uh, no. So tell us how you, uh, back in the day, how you got... Or what, what was childhood like? What were, were you into the outdoors? Or was your family into the outdoors when you were, uh, when you were young? Not hugely. I wouldn't say there sort of, you know, there were, were big advocates for various bits. I mean, they weren't not into the outdoors either. But I mean, I grew up just sort of in North Cumbria, so I was quite close to the Lake District where we are now, just outside Carlisle. And I think I did sort of... Um, enjoyed the outdoors in various bits down the woodland way. I mean, I was down sort of in the rivers in the summer sort of thing, but didn't really embrace the sort of the fells that we had close to home. Maybe the occasional school trip in the sort of into Keswick Bay bits, but generally it was more of a day trip out with the family into the lakes and staying very lowland, so more sort of the, the day tripper experience. Um, but it wasn't so much, I mean, I was a lot of team sports. I liked my cycling at the time sort of things, but generally quite a, quite a happy childhood really. You know, good schools, got close friends, that sort of way, but just didn't find myself into this, this environment just yet, even though it's close to home, but it's often the case, isn't it? I think with people that are uh, in those areas, hundred percent. Yeah, I think you, you hear that a lot. That it's, if it's on your doorstep, you don't tend to, no, uh, no. you don't tend to use it. Uh, it's only when it's uh, when it's when it's miles away, and you think, oh, better travel all that all that way to the hills. Um, so what the so after so school or anything or after school um, sort of uh, higher education or did you straight into employment? What was what, what happened then? So basically, I was I was in um, yeah stayed here till till sixth form. So I stayed here sort of uh, after school, and then went to university in York. But it was, it was about this sort of time, sort of June, sort of puberty, heading through, that I found myself really getting hit with 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 what I now know is sort of depression. Really, a lot of sort of self-loathing, a lot of demotivation, and not really enjoying some of the tasks that I used to enjoy. Again, those team sports, quite an extroverted character in my nature, but again hiding these things behind a bit of a mask, if you will. I worked during this whole time as well. So I was in the hospitality trade, so I worked sort of back at house in the pubs from quite a young age, maybe 13 or so. So again, these sort of areas in the country bits, you can get sort of jobs quite quite young age and working in the back of the pubs, washing some bits up, doing a bit of waiting on, and then 18, um, working behind the bar. And this was, again, a real sort of turning phase for me, I think, a big social change in terms of interacting with people that I maybe wouldn't have met before in that environment, and also sort of enjoying that aspect of, I guess, the extracurricular activities behind the bar. So enjoying a beer more, that sort of time, again, 18, it's sort of a bit of a coming of age type thing. Again, quite a sort of British culture as well type mantra. And it was something that really began to, to, to change change things for me as well. I and mean, it was something that initially silenced those sort of thoughts in my head and sort of allowed me to really, I guess, become that, that initial free-spirited character that I was before I had this sort of affliction. So 
Dutch courage type mantra in a way, but enjoying the feeling it gave me and becoming, I guess, quite quite au fait with that sort of lifestyle for a while. Um, and when I moved to York at 19 uh, for university to study over there, by that point I was sort of drinking most days at this point really. I was sort of in, in the pub working a lot more shifts, had befriended a lot of people in that environment and it had become quite part of my my, my sort of my social state. So I wasn't really doing much outdoor stuff at all then. Um, exercise probably limited, I did a little bit of gym work sort of stuff, but not really heading out again in the hills, so quite a different lifestyle. And moving across to York, things really began to sort of tumble tumble down for me there. So just take a little step back. So when you 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 now recognise that in, in earlier years you had um, what, what you had diagnosed as depression, what do you think was the catalyst to that? What, I mean, where, where did that come from? It's a difficult one to pinpoint. I mean, it's something that, you know, I think I still live with today, really. It's something that's always been a part of my life from that moment. I mean, really, it seems to have started at that sort of puberty moment, really, sort of that hormonal change you go through, whether it's more of a, of a chemical-based thing, that sort of way. I know there's been a lot of sort of press about this recently in terms of um, antidepressants and various bits and how they treat chemical bits. But for me, I think it comes in different ways. Sometimes it can be a situational-based scenario. It could be more behavioural, things you're doing. But for me, I was doing really nothing nothing different. It was the same. I was in a happy upbringing. Um, nothing had changed there. There was nothing, no dramatic moment. There was no particular catalyst that, you know, any sort of maybe grieving moments in the family and things. It, it, there's nothing really that could pinpoint that sort of moment. It was just that natural change that you go through without choice, really. I mean, it's, it's a puberty moment that sort of really started this change for me and come to terms more with sort of more adult emotions, I guess. Yeah, and then you found the, the socialising and, and, and that um, environment uh, in the hospitality industry. Was that something that helped? You mentioned it a second ago, but was that something that helped the you mask that and, 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 and counteract it a little bit? I think I think the alcohol side generally, yeah, definitely. I think that sort of that sort of free spirited nature, the fact that it helps you forget things a little bit more, gives you a bit more inhibitions are sort of left behind slightly. That sort of thing definitely. But I think at the time <clears throat> I was very much hiding behind a mask, my own mask I was putting on. I think those people who have gone through these sort of um mental health sort of um ailments in the past become very good at that sort of putting on that brave face putting that smile on to go out and it was something that really I think I, I did for a long long while I kept it completely secret I didn't share it to anybody but I wouldn't want to show it I wouldn't become a burden wouldn't want to sort of bring people down with what I was going through so and did did you recognize it in yourself though for sure it was it was a huge change I mean some days you just you completely not really wanting to be to be here not wanting to exist and um, battling sort of moments of sort of suicidal contemplation even from a very young age, to go through to activities, not really enjoying them anymore, what I was doing. Uh, and, yeah, I think there's just various different ways and just things hitting you a lot harder and just sometimes just staring blankly, just into nothingness, just, just literally docile, emotionless. It was a very, very, very strange period, really, I mean, for, for a while. But, but again, to the outside, instant change. Don't show this sort of thing. This isn't the case. But behind closed doors, a different story. And that was to both family and friends then? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, my mum, my mum, my sister, who I lived with at home, had no idea sort of for all these years and, and continued to have no idea right up until this moment of change in years and years in the future. So um, you got to York and and how did that, how did it develop there? <laughs> it certainly developed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so when I started my studies then, of course, it was great to have this sort of new moment being in a new city. Again, we mentioned being from quite rural upbringing about as big as I wanted to go city-wise, I think. I was never going to jump sort of London, London, Birmingham sort of size things. It was always that sort of size for me. York was quite a small, condensed city. 
Uh, and a place that was great to have those new experiences, I think, of, of living alone for the first time. I was living alone in a shared house, but living away from home, rather, and sort of discovering things that without that sort of pressures of, I guess, the, the localised environment, so people not people knowing who you were and things. But with this too, I guess it also brought that more accessibility for me in terms of the pubs, the clubs, the environments around there. I mean, I was used to a town that maybe shut up shop 10 o'clock in the week, maybe 11 o'clock on the weekend, and all of a sudden now, I think I was, I was nine miles away from the nearest city, so it was always a bus, I didn't drive, bits like that, where all of a sudden I'm walking into this town, that you know, this place is open up till four in the morning, no one knows who you are, that sort of stuff. So things really began to tumble. And of course, in the university itself, I mean, it's very much in the culture, the British sort of nature, meeting people, you're socialised, the freshest weeks, it's, it's, just, it's just booze fueled really. So there was no indication really of, of where I was going at the time. I was just someone who was known as someone who liked to drink, was, was good at drinking in a way, and I put the practice in. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just quite a natural bit. I guess I was a year older when I went to university as well, so I guess I was that sort of little bit as well, where a bit more seasoned perhaps. Um, but during this environment, again, this is where I really started to take up um, smoking more full-time, being a bit of a social smoker, sort of 18. I hadn't touched them before then, but now all of a sudden... You know, your mum's friends aren't spotting you in the street sort of thing. I'm reporting back. It was, you were just free-spirited, not really thinking about this sort of stuff. Again, drinking most days of the week, going out under that sort of social guise and also finding myself back in the hospitality trade um, quite quickly in that environment, again, to sort of support that, that mantra too. And I guess to support my studies in one thing. I mean, you know, we're not all blessed to have the finances. So it's... Uh, yeah, so the, the kind of part-time job, the um, and, and like you say, back in that environment... Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this was something that really, um, by maybe my first sort of six months in York, my studies had already started to sort of fall by the wayside. Um, I did end up dropping out sort of later on at that point. And by this point, I was now regularly sort of consuming in excess of sort of 15, 15 pints a day at this point. Um, I'd ballooned in weight to about over 22 stone. My smoking now was full time. And really, I ended up dropping out and going full time into the, the pub work because that was the thing that was really supporting now what had become more of a vice for me. Financially supporting you and, and enabling probably as Absolutely. well, being in, a, being in a bar. Kids in the sweet shop, yeah, very much yeah. so. It was um, it was that sort of, sort of thing. But but nothing I really saw as untoward at the time. It was just a very natural experience for me. Um, enjoyed the people I was with. And again, it was that, that guy's that social aspect again. Not wanting to be stuck at home, sat in my room, just me in my own head. It was always heading out, heading to work, meeting with other people, staying out as long as possible. Distraction. Absolutely, yeah. or maybe that security yeah. of people as well in a yeah. way, but it, it was still always masking these thoughts of darkness that were really there under the surface. Oh, okay. Um, so how long did you spend in York then after not being, uh, not being there full-time studies? So I ended up being in York for um, seven years. In the end, I stayed in the city. Um, I did try my studies again. I tried to have a second, second attempt at those, but during that point, I was quite rife in terms of my over my over activities, so it, it didn't didn't work out again a second time. Um, academically fine, just I mean I think you've just got to turn up to these things, haven't you, to some extent? So it was a very different priority, and again that financial catalyst, as you say, it was that was the that was the thing that I was prioritising. So that ended up being the the work I went into. So I went into that full time environment there, worked my way up, and was ended up managing this property. And um, by the time I left you, but a city I loved, a city I met a lot of great people through. Some of them maybe perhaps more acquaintances than rather friends. I mean, through the activities I was doing, I mean, there was a time when I sort of stepped back a bit and realised that my half my friends were sort of takeaway owners and, and bartenders, and he sort of think maybe you should have seen the signs then, really. <laughs> but at the time, you're in amongst it, and again, you're a young adult, young man, sort of going through that sort of thing. It's quite it's quite accepted 
to be in that sort of lifestyle. Um, and again, still with those sort of secretive moments behind the scenes that aren't really being noticed. And there was no nobody from either like back home or, or in, in your friendship circle that's saying, Harrison, are you, are you all right? Or was there any, any kind of discussion that way? Or not that I can really remember. I mean, there was a moment at some of my twenty-first birthday that was that was that was nearly a big a big awakening moment. That was a lot of people would come to visit York, and again a big sort of celebration moment. Really, was just a, a week long bender. I think it was, and really, just drinking away all week. And uh, <laughs> uh, but again, for me that was quite normal practice. But people came up and sort of one by one they started to go home again. And by the end, there was one friend there, my friend Jamie, and it, it began to dawn on me again that all of a sudden I was going to be alone in this city once again. Yes, I had my sort of friends in the hospitality environment, people I'd go out and be on an evening. But again, there were people that were very much just there as I went through my daily journey. And realising again I was going to be completely alone at this point, I mean, it just it just struck me for the first time. And I was walking home, stumbling home to my house in York, which was quite close to sort of the train tracks of York. And I just decided that I was completely at a breaking point at this point. I mean, I've been battling my head now for um, maybe a good eight years already, these sort of thoughts, keeping them completely silent. I'd found alcohol as a bit of a sort of medicinal tool initially, but it was now becoming more of a poison to me. And walking home feeling so alone in this city, I, I just decided I couldn't, I couldn't go on anymore. I, I couldn't exist this way. This wasn't working. I'm battling on for, for what? I'm literally just, just existing in this environment. And in the early hours of the morning, I don't recall the conversation. I mean, I was completely off my, off my trolley, really. But I rang home to my mum that night, four in the morning, on a payphone. I didn't have any phone at the time. Again, I was, I was uncontactable. And um, just said goodbye. I, I just rang to say goodbye. I had no intention of, of being here any longer. Um, I, I said I've mentioned quite close to the train tracks. So I just planned and that was it, leaving, leaving York. But but thankfully it wasn't the case. Um, my friend Jamie ended up escorting me home, um, back 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 to Cumbria, where I stayed for about a week and a half. And I did seek some medical help at the time. I did speak for the first time, I guess, to my mum at this point, and then a close friend had found out certain bits, but not the full extent. It was it was almost as if it was a an alcohol-fueled yeah. blip. Still, and still trying to hide it. Still Absolutely. To maintain the mask, but and almost annoyed he'd let it slip yeah. in a way. Almost annoyed the fact that people now had a little chink in the armour, a little bit. You're all right. You're on this, and you're going. Don't ask me. Just leave me alone. And it, and it was it annoyed me at the time. But after a week of being sort of back home in Cumbria, I decided that that no, this isn't how I'm dealing with things. I've got my way of dealing with things. This isn't going to change. I've got to learn to live with this. My way of dealing with this is drinking myself to oblivion each night. So I got myself back on the train, went back to York and continued this exact same lifestyle for another four years. Right. Um, and, and there was never, from that point, there was nothing from there, from your, um, from your family or from your friends that, were, that, that they, uh, they didn't try and reach out or... Not that I'm looking for... No, no, of course. Not really any blame on anybody, but it was just as... Uh... I mean, I, mean I, I think there was there's always support. There was always support there the whole time. Yeah. Um, I don't think they really they knew the extent of what was going on, so it's difficult for that sort of moment. And again, as I mentioned, that mask you you've yeah, got, got to you've, you've kept the you've kept the mask in place, and absolutely nobody's coming to to check on you because you've you've succeeded. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You sort of, you're channeling your inner thespian. You, you play the, <laughs> you play the part. You go for the Oscar, and uh, and you try and put them off the put them off the scent really. And it was it was. There was moments, but there was also moments the other way where I maybe acted out of character and various bits under the influence of some close friends. And I was never um, an aggressive person, that sort of thing, but I was certainly unreliable in various bits there and certainly wasn't, wasn't maybe the nicest person at times or 
we would very much focus, drink was the focus, it wasn't the social aspect. So if things hadn't gone that way towards what was called my quota at the time, then, then I'd, I'd, be, I'd be getting a pretty, quite, um, quite um, what's the word, uh, not grieved, but sort of yeah. Yeah, irritable, irritable. Yeah. And um, there was moments there where there were moments of almost intervention of literally going, look, if you're going to act like this in the future, we, we don't want to see you. Really? And yeah, but they don't really hit home then at all. And I guess looking back, I mean, I've had people ask before in terms of potential moments of intervention sort of thing as well, but the extent of my drinking wasn't wasn't known really to, to anybody. Right. So it, what was the extent then at the time? At, like, at, at, at its worst, I suppose, where it, so, don't, yeah, don't no, of course. To, to. No, it's absolutely fine. I mean, I mean, again, at my height, I mean, I was drinking in excess of 20 pints a day. I, I was drinking for the minute I got up, sort of on the way to work. I was having a coffee cup behind the bar most days. By this point, I'm working in excess of 12-hour shifts pretty much daily. I'm living in the pub, uh, managing the premises at the time. So it, it, it's, it's literally everything. And the minute I leave the pub, I'm into town. So I'd almost get up and I'd have different groups I'd head out with. So I was very much a solitary drinker. I'd wander about, but knew a lot of people. And being in quite a small city, you become a face when you're in a front of house position like that in the city centre. And I'd almost meet sort of, you know, the, 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 the pensioners who'd be out sort of around the lunchtime side of things, some great friends I had there as well. I mean, age wasn't an issue for me at all. We could still meet on different sort of planes, chat that sort of way. They'd go home probably after having too many. You get sort of the workers coming out after work, meeting them. Then the evening crowd on the weekend, and the next minute I'm in the clubs in the early hours. It was, and people just saw me as someone that maybe had a few beers before I turned up, and that's all it was. They didn't see the, the phases you'd gone through with the Absolutely. different people you were, you were mixing with. And then if it was a social event, a party, or a family gathering, it was just seen as maybe a one-off, had a bit too many yeah. sort of thing. So it was always under the surface, really. I think the extent of which I was drinking probably wasn't really noticed. Um, so you, you got to, sounds like mid-twenties by this point. Um, what was the... So what was the catalyst then? What was the intervention or what was the, the thing that that made you sort of sit up and realise? Yeah, it was an absolute, I mean, I think I speak about it quite a bit, I think, in terms of perhaps addictions at some point, and people sometimes reach out and ask um, for their own sort of loved ones and things in terms of how to break them out this cycle. And unfortunately, in my opinion generally, is, is, is that has to be that sole individual realisation. And generally that's at rock bottom period. And for me, at this point, I found myself in a relationship, which I, which I was also, I'd always strive for, someone to sort of share these journeys with, someone I cared for very deeply. And unfortunately, I was in two relationships at the time. I was in one with alcohol and now with her. And the two obviously didn't really meet. And again, it was like one that was hidden and it kept in the sidelines that occasionally would sort of sneak in to the relationship. But again, that mask pushing it off and it's not as what it is. You've had a drink, no, I haven't. Yes, you have. Okay, I've had two. And I've had 12, you know, it's, it's, it's just a very different thing, always. And as time went on, I was in that relationship for about a year and a half, and, and obviously more and more of these incidents came up. And in the end, I guess I began to sort of remember even resent slightly, and alcohol, alcohol was my priority. I, I'd always go back to that sort of thing, and any sort of argument, it would be like, right, off this, I'm off to the pub, straight away, little things, and back onto the drink, back onto the drink. And unfortunately, one particular night, I, I was unfaithful under the influence. I, I, I don't blame the alcohol for this. Of course, it was, it was my actions, but it was certainly something that I didn't believe was me as a character unless I was under this, this influence. And it was something that was discovered, and rightly so was the end of that relationship. And it was something that, for me, just absolutely shattered me. The fact that I'd become someone I'm not. I, I used to hold sort of like loyalty and things and that sort of thing so, so, so highly for bits. And now I'm compromised as a person. I mean, me, the whole point of this sort of drinking was 
for me to keep in check my own head and not to become that burden. But without knowing it, there's a great quote that says alcohol being is one of the best dissolvents. You know, it is it dissolves finances, dissolves relationships, dissolves families, but doesn't dissolve problems. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly that sort of scenario at the time. For me, I was thinking this is only me, I'm only affecting myself here. But all those around me are getting pulled into that circle as well without you knowing it. And unfortunately, yeah, I, I, I acted this way, the relationship ended. And I guess to try, it, it was completely to try and win her back at first. I, I literally was adamant that this wasn't me. I'd become someone I wasn't, and that person had to die. And so I literally vowed to quit alcohol that day, and leave that behind, to try and really make a change, to prove I could make this change, to prove what I was saying was, was gospel, to try and win the partner back. And... It began this sort of cycle of events, I guess, that in York at this point, literally overnight on the 6th of June 2016 was the date. And over that night, I mean, I completely broke in. I went to work the next day, and then my boss sort of came up to me at one point. I said, there's something not quite right with you. And I just broke down to tears straight away in front of him and was just unconsolable. And he said, head outside for a bit, take a bit of time. I didn't come back in for seven hours. I was just sat outside, just staring at the walls. And... My next friend came on to take the shift over, you know, the, the other manager to come on to the, in the evening shift by this point. I've been on that, that long. I, mean, I was cooking, I was on the breakfast shift. I was cooking the breakfast till three o'clock and he comes on at three to take this. I'm still outside. And he comes straight out of a pint and he goes, yeah, I'll get this down here. I said, I don't drink anymore, John. He says, you are. I said, I don't drink anymore. And he just looks at me, this confused face. I mean, this chap has seen me pretty much for the last, the last five years. I've known him at the end of the bar every single day drinking whatever under the sun really sort of thing that was ever there and heading off into town every, well, daily don't drink overnight threw my cigarettes in the bin and really came to that decision the fact that this city i'd lived in now for seven years and known so many people with was somewhere that i could no longer be in terms of to try and make this change i fiercely wanted to be there of course for for the relationship to win that back but to make these changes i think things were too familiar for me so overnight i decided to leave the city come back to Cumbria I didn't say goodbye to anyone obviously I'd lost my girlfriend I left my flat I quit my job and just moved moved straight back and returned here but upon coming back to Cumbria I released my whole sort of story on my personal Facebook at the time and said exactly what I'd been going through and why I'd come back from York so suddenly and it was the first time really I'd been completely open and transparent with what I'd been suffering from at this point now for 12 years when you see you released on Facebook, was that the first time for family and friends and everybody? It was like a, a letter to, to the world, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. So it was it was the first time I'd really been honest with, 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 with anyone, really, I guess, on that sort of front. To that extent. I mean, there was maybe moments of slipping um, at times, but, but that, that for me was the real sort of moment where I came clean with what I had done. And again, I just felt completely powerless at the time, completely broken. My foundations had crumbled beneath me. When everything I had in life had sort of gone overnight in certain ways. But was, was the Facebook post a, a cry for help, or was it a reason to, or was it you giving the reason to everybody why I've left there and I'm coming here, or was it? Was it? Do you think it was a uh, a cry for help more? I, I didn't feel it was a cry for help at that point. I felt it was more of an accountability thing. I felt like it was me being accountable for my actions, what I'd done, the fact I'd hurt another with my actions at this point. Um, that was never my aim. And obviously always wanted to do it with myself. It was always self-inflicted. And also the fact I think I'd been sort of hiding, hiding from all this sort of stuff. And the fact that, again, being accountable to that and sort of making it, making it known 
would maybe make moments of temptation a bit easier as well in the future. But what I didn't expect was to get the sort of support I got back from this sort of comment, which was which was just which was vast. And there was people there that were they were responding that I maybe hadn't been in touch with for a few years, maybe longer. There was people that had maybe had moments of, of potential intervention or moments of, of ultimatums. And that in itself was, was so empowering and so sort of humbling and, and took me really aback. And these same sort of friends that had really, a lot of them school friends had been in my life all this time and seen this change throughout. I mean, seeing this guy go from, you know, a friend at school to all of a sudden being, being clinically obese, being sort of, you know, completely under the influence all the time, you know, smoking, which was never, never, never in our sort of scene either. And all these bits and very different character, very lethargic, no exercise at all, a different life. These sort of people are turned up on my doorstep again saying, come on, we're going to go and do this. We're going to go on a cycle today. We're going to go on a walk. Let's go off to the gym. And all little bits again, these were the early days of heading back. People coming around again, me putting my hands up going, look, I'm, I'm broken here. This is, this is me. I'm trying to rebuild. I'm, I'm holding up to my faults. And people lifting me up at that moment. And again, it's something I'll never really forget. And I mean, he sort of... Not a bit. It's, um, well, my next question was going to be, how did the coming off the alcohol, how easy or hard was that? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never really advised to go from that sort of level of consumption to cold turkey. I mean, medicinally, they'll say not to do that, to wean off or to take the help to go that sort of way. But for me at the time, I guess it was... I didn't see any other way for me. I mean, I guess I was completely focused on, on, on righting my wrongs at the time. It was just something that straight away that I had to get rid of this. It was almost a bit like the demon on your shoulder for me that was whispering things in my ear all these years. And I was going, no, you don't control me anymore. And was it, it. were you successful? Was that cold turkey from that moment in the, in the alley to... So, yeah, so I went cold turkey that, from that day, 6th of June 2016. Uh, and today, when we did this thing, I, I haven't touched a drop since. So it's over six years sober from that day. Um, but by no means easy. I mean, it's, it's difficult to, to brush over that sort of thing, and I think I have done in previous talks, but certainly that first three months especially was, was an absolute hell. I mean, again, I stopped smoking at the same point as well. So I, I was going to say you had stopped. another addiction to, to battle. <laughs> um. So I, I, I was drinking, I stopped smoking. I mean, I, I threw myself into fitness at this point, so I tried to get healthier eating, and I even gave sugar in my coffee, I think, at the same time. I was, <laughs> everything at once, it was all sort of catalyst. So, my head was sort of over the place, and of course I'm pining for my ex, I'm going through heartbreak. I'm literally just such a heavy head, cold sweats all the time. It felt like I had like a lead balloon in my head just sort of for like three months. It was, it was an awful phase, really. Clouded judgment, but there was a moment three months on that that, just, that, that balloon just felt like it popped. Oh, really? And just almost went quite weightless, and it felt like you were through those early steps. And I, I don't think it's by means, you know, that's it now, it's all fine, that, that sort of way. Yeah. I'm quite comfortable with alcohol, I have no issue, I'm not anti-alcohol, I enjoy the social aspects still, but I'm just not complacent with various things. I think I'm just still aware that certain bits that I'm always one drink away, really, for me. I think it's, I might have a very different headspace now to where I was and possibly could enjoy one. I mean, that's that's always the thing, why don't you just have one? So it wasn't that easy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's addictive. addictive personality, I guess. Yeah. I'm saying with biscuits, can't put them down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those. And, no. But in the same way, what I've gained since, it's not worth the risk for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think knowing other people that have got addictive personalities for alcohol and, and other things, it's, I can't imagine that one being mm. enough. So you managed to get through that phase, that first three months, and then using 
exercise and 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 friends to and family to get you through that is that hugely kind of like yeah yeah i think i was i was getting quite propped up at this moment i went through all sorts of changes um through the point i mean again i threw myself into exercise straight away that was the one thing alcohol was leaving such a void in my life at this point leaving it behind i mean it was it was again it was all i was doing most days that had to be filled with something really so i filled it with sort of with, with gym work i filled it with cycling at the time with some walks and then one particular friend turned at my doorstep and um said let's go for a hike and at the time i knew nothing really what to experience again i was born in this area but didn't really embrace them at all had no kit i was i was penniless at the time i paid all my debts in york the last time i rented in, in in york and bits and, and debts there and again just put on what i had to hand which was like an old pair of scabby trainers i think i had some pair of swim shorts i put on and a, a jump i'd wear down the pub really it was that's all I had, and, <laughs> and everybody took one look at me and said, you can't go like that, I mean, look at the state here. So as we were driving into the lakes, he pulled off at a local outdoor shop and, um, and got this pair of boots off the shelf and, and put them on the counter and bought me these boots. And again, another huge show of support at the time, ones that, yeah. again, when you're so almost cloudy going through this transition, it was, it was things you didn't really maybe notice appreciate to the full extent i mean certainly appreciative at the time but maybe not to the full extent of really what this was doing yeah in this journey when you look back on it we'll absolutely yeah. and then we drove further on to, to the base of Blencafra, one of the higher mountains in the lake district so a bit of a baptism of fire so two weeks on from this tournament again not doing exercise maybe like five years sort of thing again just giving up the smoking just on the alcohol pining for my ex and next thing it being faced, we're walking up this sort of big old hill. Uh, and again, so I'd never done before, never imagined doing. And really just staying at my feet, heading up and completely, you know, gasping for breath on the way up, to be honest. We're not remembering a lot of what was going on. But little stops here and there, heading up to the top and finally reaching that sort of summit point. And, and barely even having a chance to catch a breath before he sort of took one look at me and said, right, we're doing Helvellyn next week. <laughs> So again, them all the way absolutely. <laughs> yes, now the third highest mountain in the lakes, and, and that was it. A week later, the same again, the same story. We were driving off, pulled up to the base of Helvellyn from the Filmier side, that sort of stone staircase to the summit. And it was a glorious day, a bit like what we're having at the moment, sort of a, even sort of a, in August, really hot day, blue skies. But again, the same thing, staring at my feet, mainly marching up, you know, just struggling, but but pushing on and really feeling like it was a bit of a, a physical manifestation of what I was going through at the time. I mean, that uphill struggle, not knowing where you're going to, having to sort of push through that pain barrier, just blind faith in a way, really. And pushing through and again, reaching that summit point of Helvellyn. And at that point, just looking across at sort of red time below and, and striding edge there and sort of the Pennines in the distance, it, it was just like something just sparked in me it was just it was like a new addiction was being yeah, that was the that was the catalyst for the new absolutely i mean it was just that the same sensation in a way of what almost that that first drink or first cigarette was really? at the start of the day that endorphin rush or that sort of flowing in you at the top but now without any come down without any negative just being up there being present and this really began a cycle really for me of, of something new to cling on to and plus as well, I mentioned that void in time that alcohol left. Now hiking was quite an elongated activity. Yeah, that's true. So it filled yeah. it quite well in terms of that block where the gym and stuff were maybe being an hour, maybe two hours. These could easily be six to eight to ten sort of thing, being out there. And that really began this cycle then. So then a week later it was Scarfell Pike ticked off and then some of the way rats in the area. I ended up moving to the lakes itself. By chance actually, I didn't really plan on going to the lakes, but 
Um, the same friend who'd, who'd, I mean, he was fantastic at the time, and the same friend who'd introduced me to the fellows, worked in a local cafe in the area, got me a job in that cafe as well, which again, I wanted to remove myself from the hospitality trade, but there was no alcohol presence in the cafe, so that was, that was okay. I didn't drive at the time, so I was commuting down from basically Hadrian's Wall into the lakes, sort of by bus and trains, and then getting lifts through, uh, and stopping over on the weekend, and then literally met um, a local business couple in that cafe, that then offered me a job in the area. So all of a sudden I had a, had a, had a moment here where I'm now three months into this turnaround, not really knowing, still trying to go back to York really, still my aim is to head back and to make this change, not really settled, but then having options on the table. And really it felt as if I was just pushed in this direction. I just sort of, I was quite succumbing to the journey where it was blowing me in a way. So just letting that kind of happen, even though you had, and, and I'm assuming going back to York was um, for the, the relationship. Absolutely. All the potential relationship. Absolutely. That, which which really hadn't cool shown any signs of getting back at this really? point. I, mean, <laughs> I was going from a Rocky Four montage moment, sort of trying, trying to win back all these bits, but... But, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, she, she was so, I mean, really, I, I can't, again, someone else that I can't fault, because during this point, I mean, she could have completely cut all contact and left at this point, but she was very supportive during things, um, never giving indication of, of obviously, uh, of, of taking back sort of thing, but always going, look, this is for you, this change, I know you can do this sort of thing. Um, and again, that looking back was, 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 was very selfless, hugely selfless at the time, and again, something that's very hard to, to appreciate and be thankful for. Um, obviously, I have expressed that, but uh, in the end, that, that, that concept didn't continue. But those early days, I think that sort of moment really of, I mean, by all means, she probably should just cut contact completely. I mean, she had no business. Yeah. And a lot of people would have done. Yeah. I mean, turn the back, shut the door, and that's it. Yeah. Out of my life. Uh, yeah, by the sounds of it, it's helped the, the, the initial process of you getting over those, those addictions. The, those, I suppose that's the, the addictions that you've, you've got over, uh, or ad main addiction being alcohol, but what about the demons that, that took you there or that kind of uh, unfolded to, to take you there? Is that how, have, did they go at the same time or is that something else you've had to, to, to manage? So yeah, this is a difficult one, I think, because I mean, you often hear a lot of these things that people do these moments of change and they almost, they say, oh, I'm cured or I, I got rid of it or I got rid of depression. For me, it's not it's not that kind of thing. I think some people, again, we mentioned at the start, I think there's different factors sometimes in depressions. What Sometimes there can be a behavioural thing, there can be a situational thing where perhaps if you change the situation, you can come out of that phase. Or it might be a, a grief-based period, which is completely understandable as well. I mean, to some point, we'll go through those periods um, quite naturally. But for me, it's always felt like that, just that, that, that something not quite quite there at the base level for me, and always seeking something else. Exercise has certainly aided that sort of thing. Medicinal health at times has certainly aided that as well. Leaving behind those afflictions, those negative vices, again, I always say in terms of putting sort of bad fuel into a car and expecting to go 100 miles, the same with your body, sort of what was going in at the time. I mean, I was literally just fueling myself with crap food, copious amounts of booze, fags, and whatever you were sort of picking as you go in the pub. It was, it was, it was just, you know, no existence really. Um, changing that for sort of more freshly prepared foods and bits into there, leaving that behind and getting a lot of fresh exercise now in, in the outdoors loads was obviously a big catalyst for leaving that, that at bay. But it always feels like it's still a battle at times. I mean, not, not, not a battle that you, 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 not sort of the final rounds of a battle every time, but, but it's always maybe still there in the distance. 
And again, there, there was a metaphor. I think I think I think a doctor told me at one point where he said it was a bit like um, at the top of the hills then on a cloudy day sort of thing, and being walking up through that cloud and being stuck in it, and not really knowing what direction to go. But again, having to push through that cloud and getting to that top and being above it. And as you reach that sort of some, the clouds sort of disperse further and further away. They're always there in the distance to some extent, mm. but they yeah. do stay in the distance yeah. if you maintain that way. So for me, it's just been it's been a battle. I think it's yeah. it's it's still something to kind of keep on the keep aware to be aware of. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think there's been there's been moments more recently. I think where I think I've let things like slip more. I think a lot of people did maybe COVID and the lockdowns, losing a lot of vices that yeah. these things creep back in. And and now I didn't really have that coping mechanism to fall back on, which was alcohol. Right. The temptation was certainly there, but having to sort of navigate these in different ways but exercise has certainly been one of the huge huge bits and outdoors for keeping that at bay and and really yeah. dissipating it so you mentioned that you started working for a small business uh, and that was your kind of blowing into the into the lake district yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just let, letting the wind blow you where, where you where you should be blowing um what happened how did that progress so that, yeah, so exactly, I mean, it, it was very much, I mean, that, that sort of period, I mean, I've not spoke about this pretty much on things before, but that period was very much just leaving myself at, at, at mercy to, to where I was going. It was, at the time, I, I was journaling a bit as well. I mean, that was something else that was suggested to me at the very start to write down what I was going through. I'd never really done it before, and I'd have turned my nose at really in the past, but started journaling, sort of going, I'd gone to a lot of coffee, coffee shops at the time. I'd even still go to a few pubs, actually, and sort of sit in there in the corner and just get a Coke or a tonic and just sitting writing this yeah. book what I was going through is the realization was that a, it, that sounds like it's a it was a kind of battle that you, like you were taking the the battles right to the right to the front line if you, I, I've never been in that situation but to, no, for an alcoholic to go into to sit in a pub that early on that that must have been difficult yeah, yeah I mean I, I, I don't think I'd compare ourselves to our sort of D-Day heroes and things but I think but certainly in terms of uh, it was a <laughs> Um, for me, yeah, it was very much something that I had like the likes of a, a close friend sort of stag do coming up and things in little bits and, and everyone was going, you can't go on this sort of thing, it's going to be too much for you. And from that initial sort of moments of change, I, I said from the start, I was going like, I'm giving up alcohol, I'm not giving up my life. I don't want this to become a taboo. Mm. I, I did enjoy working in the pubs, I did enjoy being there, I enjoyed the social side of things, but also respected the, the temptation aspects of it to going in there and, and, the, and the sort of the danger of being in there as well. And again, I mean, I've mentioned a few quotes now, but there's, there was another one that was there. I think it was, it was, it said, the more times you sit in the barber's chair, the more likely you are to get a haircut. <laughs> okay. And yeah. again, it was one I was aware of and thinking yeah. that the sort of that complacency of being, yes, I'm in the pub each time, but just being aware of certain bits. And again, I used to often drink a tonic in there because it was, it was quite a slow drink, something that would, wouldn't, wouldn't drink away really quickly. But there was a time when I'd ordered a tonic and, and it came to me, and as I put it to my lips, I, I could smell the gin. And I said, is the gin in this? Went, yeah, it's what you asked for. I said, no, no, I asked for a tonic. And literally I had that moment of just thinking, only I know there's gin in this. Yeah, I could just drink this and be fine. Yeah. And I remember putting that back and saying, I don't want the tranky. I just walked out and just left this place. And that again was that sort of moment of, oh. I'm in this environment. You've still got to be careful and still got to be aware of things that can change. And things that, again, even against your power, really. I mean, that, was, that wasn't my doing. I didn't ask for that. But a mistake that could have then led to where could that have gone from? So, yes, it maybe wasn't the thing for everyone to sort of do, but for me, I wanted to make sure that was never never an issue for me in those bits, not crossing the street when I was passing these sort of bits. 
Um, but it very much felt like that sort of journey I was going through, and at moments, sort of um, moments of even sort of epiphanies, and even sort of spiritual. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but in some sort of ways, it felt as if I was heading through this this journey of change, succumbing to it, just allowing myself to go through this sort of change. And and some of the experiences I was then receiving in the mountains out there in various bits with some of the, the sunsets I was getting, and some of the wildlife that seemed to be appearing. And at this point, I began running a lot more as well, which again I couldn't run a bath at the time. I wouldn't imagine running in my life. But one friend did that, that was another step, and that became sort of 2K, 5K, became 10K. Next minute I'm heading out hiking boots into trail trainers and heading out into these mountains now, running up these hills. And being out there in one particular moment when I was running in sort of Greenburn Valley, where I was now living in Grasmere, lodging with a chap in the centre of town, and uh, or village, they always, they always tell me off for saying town. <laughs> village. And, uh, <laughs> they're all towns, aren't they, in the city, so go to town. And, um, <laughs> and I was running down the Greenburn Valley and I think I was head torched to a place to run a lot sort of at night after work and and there was this like family of deer that appeared alongside me and again I was going through this moment I think I had like Last of the Mohican soundtrack in my ear or something I was there <laughs> proper on this montage moment and this deer that's running alongside me, next bit they just ran alongside me for, for, for a good sort of five minutes and it was just moments like that that just felt I don't know quite most ethereal at the time. It was, it was a really bizarre moment. I never expected to move to the lakes. Didn't plan on moving to the lakes, but everything was pushing me in that direction. And um, felt kind of right about it. And just to come yeah. to it. And, and it's ended me here. Uh, and again, I know I'm skipping on a bit, but, but but then still here to this day. Again, that's six years sober now, based in the lakes, and sort of really what has now become my livelihood and my entity and my lifestyle. Completely. Yeah. Your passion. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Winding it back to just after running with a deer, um, what <laughs> what what then was the the next steps were to to get you here? Like we like you're working in the cafe at the, at the time. Is that so I'd, I'd now moved on to the, to the next place. I was working actually at called Grassmere Gingerbread as well. I was working, so I was uh, I was behind the scenes in the office environment doing a lot of the sort of the the e-commerce shipping elements in there. So again, quite different from what I've done in the past. Again, I was quite. Um, computer savvy in the past but never really used utilized those skills and they did sort of offer the olive branch and really offer me that position I mean I had no experience in the role but other than self-taught knowledge really so again another moment of faith that there was a lot of these olive branches being passed out from people from friends and strangers now just moments of again just just in this path and not not um, sort of playing down those olive branches, but were the were they aware of your situation, or was it just because they they knew somebody that you knew, and or they'd come across you before, or was or was it? Uh, I'm not saying certainly not want to use the word pity or anything. No, like no, that. no, of like course. It was, it was. Was it well? He's had a bit of hard luck. Well, well, we'll give him a chance. Or or was it purely because you knew somebody, or you, you it came up just naturally? They no, they weren't really aware of what was going on at the time. I think the situation. They 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 knew the person I worked for the cafe. They were they were close that way, as they are in sort of these small villages. Um, and basically, they've been looking for someone with with computer computer knowledge, really credentials, in the area for quite a while. And as they often is in these rural rural areas, quite scarce sort of thing. So they really... come from York, the big city, and the big smog. <laughs> basically, you can use a computer. He's in. He's qualified. Uh, <laughs> So it was that sort of moment, and again, I think they, they, they look at me again. It was all a haze, really, for for quite a few months. But they actually offered me like an interview. I think about a month after being in the cafe, and I turned it. I, I just turned it away. I didn't respond. And like three months later, they offered the interview again, sort of thing. And again, at the time, I was I wasn't I was so unaware of where I was going, and just sort of 
where I wanted to be and where I was moving to. And again, was it going to be York? Was it going to be back to Carlisle? Was it going to be elsewhere? Was it going to be abroad? I didn't. I had no idea. I just I, my, my life had just gone completely fractured, and completely changed. The, my whole journey. I'd gone. I'd going this way, and I'm now going this way. It was. It was, it was, it was such a change. And from those from the outside that, that knew me from the initial days, it must have been so bizarre to see as well, almost, almost literally overnight, someone who's basically off the radar, not hearing from, it's all of a sudden pitched to me on these mountain summits and had this sort of way and, and a different life and you know, losing weight as it goes on, looking healthier in bits and instantaneously. I mean, yeah, it's not to play, I mean, such a difficult, difficult period, but looking back, it, it still was an absolute switch of a moment. It wasn't like a steady, steady into it. It was just, this is it. We're on a different path now. And yeah, immensely difficult still to go, to look back and to, to, to go through those periods. And, yeah, you still can't stop. stranger. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and when you, you're obviously recreationally then uh, hiking and uh, into the fells, et cetera, uh, and, and working at your new computer science job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so, where did the, I mean, I don't know how early on we are here, but where did the cooking element mm. come into it? Where, where does that then kind of roll on to? Or was there anything beforehand that, that led you to it? So, so cooking has probably been the, the, the long-standing passion, to be fair. That's been there from, from childhood. I mean, that's, I have mem memories of, sort of cooking with my grandmother, sort of growing up, being the oldest of quite a few cousins. Um, they were maybe too young to do various bits, so I was put to work really in the end, I guess, you know, be, be peeling potatoes, stirring the gravy sort of thing. But that sort of led to this this intrigue, I guess, and this this want to to research and to learn more about bits. And I loved how it brought people together. And we still at the time tried to gather the family on a Sunday. They'd all come round to my grandmother's house and sort of sit down for a dinner, uncles from Carlisle sort of thing with all the cousins. And I always connected that that sensation of food and, and togetherness and, and being very human, really, that sort of way. And maybe sort of perhaps we didn't always have maybe at home so much. I mean, it was just my mum and my sister there sort of thing. And again, my mum, single parent, nurse, and very busy at times and always had food on the tables for us. But we never remember we sit together. My sister's going for different teenage years and so we're not wanting to socialise. But still bringing back to those initial um, moments of togetherness. And that led me onto a journey, I guess, of just researching more through cookbooks, through various bits, and watching cooking shows on the telly, being experimentational in the kitchen at home, and just sort of teaching myself, really, self-taught through nature's with food. Difficult sometimes to source some of these ingredients in, in Northern Cumbria. In sort of <laughs> so we've gone quite deep into your research here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And yeah. Jamie's talking about kaffir lime leaves, and you think, you know, I just have to order those on Amazon. Or it wasn't really as good back then. Um, <laughs> But it started that sort of journey, and I get, when I went to York, again, I still loved my food, and there was moments where I was never never taught, I never worked in the kitchens as a chef um, growing up. There was moments when I was managing the, the, the pubs where I had to go in more for necessity and be the cook in there. But again, it was very much just a very different level. I think cooks and chefs, I never call myself a chef because it's a very different setup. I think it, you, you look at things a different way. I think there's, there's, there's such an impressive nature in how they can knock all that food out in such a space of time in all different tables. I mean, it's, it was a different world when I did the various shifts in there. But always having that passion, which maybe fell by the wayside slightly during the heavy drinking days where you probably more reliant on just cheap fix or a bit of food or whatever I could afford to not really spend much on my money on food because that wasn't my priority. Um, but coming back out of that, that was one of the first another steps again. So it was that exercise, leaving the vices behind and going back to cooking fresh produce. So that was something else I went straight back into. 
And this continued through. And when I got into hiking for the first time, initially, I guess I was making quite extravagant packed lunches to go out with me for the day. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so everybody's jealous. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So if it was leftovers and that before, it'd be yeah. purpose-built bits, little risottos and nice salad stews in there and things. And people then getting their soggy cling film sandwiches out of the bag and all squashed up and there's me enjoying these on the hill. And at the same sort of time, I had set up a bit of a social media presence at this point where I'd set up and I'd dubbed myself Fell Food yet at the very time, at the very start. Okay. So but at the time, back. it was completely anonymous at the time. So I wasn't, I wasn't sharing any pictures of me. My name wasn't on there. No friends knew about it. Again, maybe a bit like those early days wearing that mask again. Yeah. It's maybe a similar, I mean, I've, I've only come to that realisation looking more recently, but I think, I think it was a similar fa- period, really. Going through something new, sharing new things, maybe not wanting to be associated. Yeah, yeah. protecting yourself, possibly. Maybe like so. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, but initially, it was the views I was experiencing and the food I was cooking at home at the time. Um, not to annoy my Facebook friends with pictures of my dinner, not to be one of them people. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it yeah. all started. Yeah, yeah. But came up with the name, obviously being proud of the area I'm from. We call the Hills Fells in this area, and of course, foodie being sort of known for that sort of um, gastronome elements. And this began to then sort of circle up at times where I went out there and one person on the fell top looked at me with this lunch one day and said, why didn't you get a stove and start cooking it out of there from scratch? As a bit of a joke. But not one to sort of shirk the challenge. I bought myself a camping stove, the first one I ever got. A Biolite camp stove too I got in there at the time. And um, basically packed up my kitchen in my bag and went down to Rydal Water and started cooking by the side of Rydal. And... At the time, it was also something. I think I was taking ceramic plates outside the heavy pans from the kitchen. I had a big chopping board. No purpose-built stuff, you know. And if you're looking for lightweight tips from me, I'm probably still not your man now, I think. <laughs> yeah, still it taking is. your whole kitchen with you. That's slightly it, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But heading out there, and again, I started sharing these bits. And once I started doing that, that just seemed to spark an interest altogether in that sort of bit. So then the food, as a passion from the early days, and this new passion now of heading to the mountains, combined... And ended up sort of the start of this new journey now, this 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 new moment. And again, I mentioned it before, I was doing a lot of the sort of the journal at the time as well in the early days. And that seemed to sort of fade by the way as I started this social media journey. And I think initially I did sort of utilise social media as an online journal, a very public journal at this point. And by the time I got to my second year sober, at which point now I'm quite much, I'm getting quite seasoned in terms of maybe amateur hiking in various bits. I mean, I've been down to the, the three peaks at that point, most of the way much around the area. And I'm now running a lot of these fells sort of thing as well. I'm in a completely different life to what I was doing before. Um, you know, I'd, I'd even end up somehow signed up to a marathon at one point and getting running a marathon 11 months after that turn. I mean, that's bizarre. But I'd never really imagined, you know, not running a bath and not even wanting to ever run around down the street to all of a sudden this, this redemption moment. An astronomical change from, from one to the other. Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, Amazing change in the minute. I mean, one, I wish I, well, I'm not sure I could run a marathon at the moment. I think I've, <laughs> I'd like <laughs> to get back to that sort of level of fitness. Yeah. But yeah, all but still, I still feel like we're coming out of lockdown for, <laughs> for, uh, for fitness-wise. But we'll get back to those moments. But um, but second year sober, putting that story out in its entirety, like I had at the start, now out there to strangers online. And by this point, I think maybe I'd gathered maybe about 1,000 followers online at this sort of point of this sort of journey. And once again, the messages I received back of support, but also similar tales of people that have discovered the outdoors for the similar reasons. Maybe not always the alcohol or the vices, but certainly for the mental side. Was again, hugely knocking back and hugely empowering. And, and this began this sort of snowball-like cycle that really I can still pinpoint now and watch it still gain pace. 
as time went on, I was reached out by, by a close friend of mine now, James Forrest, who is a journalist in the same space as yourself, and, and he did a little piece with me for a magazine online about sort of my journey at this point. And it was the first piece of, of coverage, I guess, I've got about this. And again, now, going from not sharing this, this secret for 12 years to anybody, to sharing to those sort of close and maybe on the peripherals, maybe you've gone to school with and things, to strangers and now nationally, really. And this just began this sort of cycle of things that started going. And at that then I led on to some local news pieces that I went on there and spoke on camera about this sort of stuff. Um, two local news pieces, then a national magazine piece about this. And the following obviously just began to grow slightly, but also my sort of it was purpose in a way, I think, of speaking about these things. I mean, I felt like I'd, I'd been given a voice about this. I was able to articulate what I'd gone through. And to be able to share that and potentially help somebody else who was going through something and feeling very alone, because you do feel so alone in these things. You think, like, I'm the only one suffering this. Mm. Just having that, that, that moment of relation mm. felt very much like, like a bit of a purpose for me, I think, and, and something that was inspiring me on to, to continue on this journey. So the food was the... The, the not the interest but the the, the the kind of catalyst to share the story for the bringing everybody together like you said bringing that, that community together around round the food to, to, uh, to, to talk about experiences and journeys and and, and mental health yeah. as, you, as you said right at the beginning that's your you're an advocate of absolutely um, uh, well I think food does that so well doesn't it whether yeah. it's around the table whether it's around a sort of a campfire in places that are permitted yeah. and um, all, all that sort of yeah in the hillside I mean Again, that was certainly the intrigue. That was maybe the, the sort of the unique aspect that was unusual. That was maybe, but having that sort of journey behind it as well of how I got to that moment just seemed to sort of spark a bit of interest. And it was it was very much it's a bit like <laughs> I sometimes joke that it's um, is it that Bane quote? I think I haven't done loads of quotes in this. Oh, you're mocking about is it the Bane quote from Batman? I think where he's like, no one cared who I was until I put on the mask. So, yeah, it was a Batman's <laughs> quote, one of the two. Yeah, it's a bit like me. No one cared until I got the stove. Sort of thing. Yeah, 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 that sort of thing. It was that sort of way. <laughs> And then uh, it just sort of led on this cycle, but again, one that I was more than happy to sort of share it. And I've never felt comfortable sharing these sort of things in the past. I've never, never spoke myself in the mirror about these things. Yeah. And to now I was going to be standing up there and, uh, and reeling it off to sort of journalists and, and on, on the camera, being broadcast. And then this led on to sort of more public speaking chances as well, where I'm just completely being out there and always still, like I, I attempt to be on my accounts, just completely raw and honest and open, not, not filtered, I don't see, there's no secrets anymore. Just, this Masks is it. gone. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, exactly that. And, yeah, and it does feel that way. I mean, sometimes quite, quite, quite naked, naked and raw out there, but, but, but comfortable in it, comfortable. And is that, so. do you think that comfort's come from the support you've received uh, at the beginning and, and, and then maybe the support you've given to others? Is that, do you think that's where that's come from? Or is it, it's, you've come happy in yourself? I think initially, for probably initially, probably me. Yeah. I think initially, I think it was. I was content. I I I felt accountable for my actions. Um. So I felt like I had to admit that truth, in a way, even though it's not it's not it's not a fault, you know, in sort of way. But it but obviously other things led on to to faults. But the initial cause, wasn't my doing. But. Yeah, that sort of comfortable nature, I think. But then again, that support back as well, and perhaps the. The general, I mean, there was always a stigma, wasn't there? It was still, I mean, it was so much. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 31 now, and I'm still not of another big age, but it's there was no talk about this when I was at school, nothing at all. And no, I'm, I'm there was nothing on the telly, and there was a couple maybe sneak out occasionally 
celebrity space at all. But even you think back to some high-profile meltdowns. I mean, you know, the big one was Britney Spears shaving her hair. Wasn't no one said that was anything to do with the mental psyche at the time. It was just a bit, a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah no, certainly there's a, a stigma about it. About mental health in general, when and or was I don't certainly think it's uh, certainly think it's a massive shift, but uh, there's males as well. Yeah, we're, exactly. we're, not, we're just not very good at it. Exactly. Um, so I think so. being part of that as well, and being yeah. being being a voice in that sort of space, yeah. was something that that I felt quite important too. And, and and there was one particular moment where I was actually I was invited to a local school to talk, that sort of thing, which which again was one of my first sort of public speaking. Avenues, I mean, I've never really had any background in it. Um, but one that literally just felt completely. I mean, I mean, I, I walked out sort of like I was, I was adrenaline fueled almost. It felt like such a, a high, but also a low. I mean, I felt drained, I mean, like emotionally drained, from it. Which later on, someone I spoke to about a similar sensation, but that said that maybe perhaps it's, it's people absorbing what you're talking about. So you might be feeling drained of what you're talking about. They're absorbing it in, and. Just being there at the school talking, I mean, I mean again, I maybe only received the ears of maybe two thirds of the room because being school kids, so every other way. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it just brought back all those memories of me being sat there in the audience hall, watching other speakers at my school perhaps talking about different subjects, and me sitting there not knowing what the hell I was going through, what, what, what was this, and just sort of gazing, daydreaming into the corner, and realizing that I could almost be talking to my younger self in a way here. It was just, I don't know, it was, it was. Goose pimples, really, sort of thing. And do you did you feel that they there was maybe some of them that weren't, as you said, been high school. But did you feel that some of them had um, had engaged with it? Had uh, did you get any feedback from that? Not from the kids individually. I wouldn't. I don't think I expect to at that sort of age. But then also, um, I never think that's my place to say. Right. I think all these things. I mean, people often you know maybe say inspiring speakers and things, but but. but it's not my place to say if it's inspired people. I mean, my place is just to say what I'm doing. If it gets one person in that audience, whatever audience it is, whether it's a TV bit or a magazine, and it makes someone just think, that's me, or relate to that, or perhaps I need a change to go through, or any of that sort of thing, that's that's the purpose. That's what makes it worthwhile for me. It doesn't matter if, if it doesn't land on that time. I think there's always going to be someone. And it might not be someone who's there individually for themselves, but there'll certainly be someone who has a partner, a child, a work colleague that's going through something like this. So that's that's the power of it, I think, in terms of the, I mean, the, the we all talk about social networks a lot now, don't we? But the, but the physical social network in, in word of mouth. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that really depletes this stigma, I think, in just in having those conversations. I think you mentioned it earlier, but people reach out to you, ask questions, and, and, and do, they give you, do they give you feedback on what what you're seeing and maybe what others and, and and the outdoor community are saying I've, I've helped them. Do you get much like that? There's been some. There's been some. Yeah, some tremendous messages over the years. Yeah. Um, some ones of support from me, but others that have maybe been tales of, of similarity, either from individuals or from perhaps I've had mothers, I've had sort of partners, various bits. Some asking for advice, some asking for bits here. And I'll always say, man, I'm not a medical professional. These are just completely my lived experiences. I'll always make that clear. Happy to share what I've gone through, but it's different for different cases. But there's been some, you know, again, I, there's been people sometimes, I, mean, I had one chap who, I think, who, who messaged and saying how he'd read my story four years ago from this day, he's four years sober now. He was, he was, he was being very thankful, saying you've inspired me to do this sort of thing. Thank you, thank you. And I was going, no, no, this, this isn't me. This is you. You've made this change. I might have been a little step along that way or something, but I've, I'm not doing, you've done all the action. You've done all that. And like myself, when I was watching, 
there were some YouTube videos I watched at the start. People had gone through similar bits, and I did a lot of research into there. I went to sort of group therapy health and various bits, and all these little bits though they come into play, but they're not the the individual reason why you made that change. Combined, they'll push you on that journey, but that journey has to be for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, I'm not not having gone through that before, but um, I can imagine. Yeah, without and. Again, he'll say from from watching things and on telly, mental health things and etc. Then yeah, it's, it has to be that person. You can't be forced into it. Mm. Uh, and obviously, you had the the moment back uh, in two thousand sixteen, which which that was your first step. One hundred percent, yeah. But also a difficult one. I think I do sometimes appreciate. I mean, I mean, the stigma is definitely a lot less than what it what it what it was. I mean, even growing up in the last decade, there's still elements there, and sometimes it's easy to think that it's almost disappearing, especially if you're in that space. That almost echo chamber that social media can be, I think, you know, yeah, I'm supporting this, it's great. But there has sometimes still been moments that, that, that maybe you go against the grain of what you say or comments like maybe it's, it's a myth or it doesn't exist sort of thing. And you go, well, you know, and it can annoy you. But I also sometimes see the other side as well. If you've never been through these things, it can be very difficult to comprehend what actually is going on. It's, it, I mean, it is invisible at times. But I think it's just having that sort of compassion and that appreciation for others and that respect of what's going on and just just being a bit, bit sort of standing sort of asking how people are and things i think and just just trying again it's just it, just being a good person generally isn't it i think even if you don't understand what maybe they're going through or you don't quite believe aspects mm. it's just holding someone else's truth and not knowing what given what's in their shoes yeah no or their boots their boots yeah yeah absolutely um and you mentioned negativity there. Have you had much negativity from from social media or, or anything like that? Has there been? Has there... I think I've been very lucky. To be fair, yeah. I don't think I've had much at all. Good. Uh, I think I think a little bit more now. My account's growing in size and things, but I think generally when it's on big, um, it's when it's shared posts on public platforms and things, but very minimal, very very minimal. Um, but I think it does still exist. I think there's those of us in the space that have received a lot more than I have, perhaps. Um, maybe more the female side of things towards the male side of this. I think there's a lot more in that sort of side of stuff, which is, which is, yeah, people hiding behind the keyboard to some extent. But for me, again, I always think generally, if there's comments that are made about things like that that really haven't really had an effect on anybody in, in a bad way, if they've, if they've just commented out to me negative about you just sharing your own story, it says a lot more for them, I think, than anything else. And I think generally I think it boils down to levels of either insecurity or issues perhaps that person would be going through themselves or even sort of wanting to make those changes themselves and struggling with those bits. I think there's always something a lot more behind the scenes than what is actually just that pure hate that comes yeah. across. Maybe it's their um not chance but they they are reaching out, that's that's maybe what it is uh, potentially. It be, yeah. yeah. But it's quite a soulless isn't it sometimes I guess I mean if you're out there seeing something you don't know and I think a lot of the time you don't appreciate the fact that those people are actually reading those comments as well, especially if it's on a public yeah. platform. You yeah. think they'll never see that. But I always try, I read everything, and I always reply to everything. The, the current stage, I always try to reply to everything I ever get, because I think if they reach out to me, I, the best I can always do is say reach out back. Might not always be the case, but for now, it's certainly the purpose. But some of them there, you, you're just thinking, well, why, would, why, would you, why would you write that? What? Yeah. They might be on like a, new, a news piece that's been shared, so they think you're never ever going to see it, but... You've read them and you just think, well, what was the paper? What have you gained from writing that? Yeah, I mean, the negativity uh, out there, uh, uh, hopefully in general, um, obviously you, you mentioned you don't get a lot, but 
like you said, people do. Hopefully, in general, the negative or the positivity far outweighs the, the negativity. Um, hopefully, that is the case. But sometimes it's the negative things that people hold on to, isn't it? I think I, I hear that a lot. But yeah, I hope, yeah. I hope that um, I hope that it balances out, or or positivity uh, is is better. Um, so now, so, so so nowadays, you are cooking in the fells with all sorts of weird, wonderful ingredients. Mm. Um, what, well, what is your, do you have a favourite meal to cook out there? Oh, you're straight in with a tough one, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, straight in with a tough one. <laughs> I hate this question. <laughs> it, it's so difficult, so difficult. I mean, I think that, I, I always ask, it's quite like a politician, I think, really. It's kind of, I just, I just love cooking. Like, yeah, I just, yeah. with other people, various bits, different cuisines. And I guess, I still like the experimentation side too, so I'm not often cooking the same thing all the time. I try new things a lot of the time, but there's certainly things I fall back on. I mean, I love sort of Italian cuisine and sort of Greek cuisine, that sort of way. I love dishes that sort of way. Um, Indian bits as well. But yeah, generally just, just mixing flavours together. Yeah. I tend to ask the people I'm cooking for what they like, and I'll try and recreate a version of that they'll enjoy. Yeah. Or give me one ingredient and I build something around that. I like that aspect yeah. of it. Um, and you're able to come to two stoves and a, on whatever else you can carry up. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's, 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 the, that's just the challenge, isn't it? I think yeah. sometimes. I think it's for me. It's just showing really what can be produced on that minimal equipment. I'm not expecting people to always go to the same extent as I do. I think they have. Be, <laughs> there's, there's sometimes the satire of it. I think when I'm out there grating my nutmeg on top of the mountain top a little bit, so watching some garnish disappear in the wind. I mean, I do leave no trace as much as possible, but. A bit, a bit of parsley just go astray. I'm not chasing down the mountainside. But it's literally, it's it's just having a different approach to it, I think, and just look, thinking about how you are eating food in the outdoors and just slightly differently, whether it's those little first steps from, you know, I would say like stage ones, maybe the, the pot noodle or the meal deal or the, the even the dehydrated sort of meal, I guess, which, is, which again, serve their purpose. I mean, I'm not knocking them in any way. I think they've, they've, they've been fantastic for some of the expeditions that's gone on, they wouldn't be able to exist without them. You know, and sometimes when I've done longer hikes, they've, they've supplemented well into theirs. So they've maybe done the lunches on those. So great. And they keep the weight down, which is what generally most people's priority, I find. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the most, that's the most hate I get online, I think, is going, <laughs> it's, I've already carried all that. Yeah. Well, it's my choice, isn't it? I'm allowed to. <laughs> but I think it's heading out for a different purpose. Sometimes I'll head out just to cook. I might head up just on one of the local fells here watch the sunset and cook my dinner up there. And that in itself is a bit of a different little adventure in a way that's heading up. So it's not always about scaling the biggest or the longest or doing a 10 day linear sort of thing. It's different moments, but if it just inspires people to think a bit differently about what they're cooking or maybe try a little bit more of getting fresh bits. And the nutritional aspects of it are far better too. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist in, in, by any means, but putting good food in, I certainly think that's going to have good, good rewards. I'm going to power you through better and for physical and mental. So, even if it's just inspiring people to maybe if they're having a camp out, just having the one cook around the found together, maybe even sharing some of the load and having a nice meal to look forward to. Food really heightens an experience for me. It's always been something I've never really skimped at. So I think when I went into the hills, it was going to be the same. Uh, yeah, so that's what you wanted to focus. Well, that, that to be part of the focus. Mm. Yeah. Um, I suppose one quite, well, you mentioned, maybe answered my question slightly without realising, um, is when you cook all that stuff, I mean, I remember, I'm at campsites sometimes and I'm cooking uh, in, the, in the back of the tent and I'm thinking, look at the washing I've got to do here. Like, <laughs> like this is going to take ages. Is that, is that a case of just carrying it back down once you've been up and, and, and cleaning it back home? Yeah. 
I, I always carry back down here. Yeah, I don't like to try and sort of pollute any waterways and stuff out there when I'm out and about with various bits and things. That, um, I'm not sort of, again, especially no detergents and things out there. So I, I tend to pack, pack it all back out and take it back down again. If it's a multi-day things, there'll be some times where you can maybe just rinse bits out of a bit of water, uh, boil that up again, and that'll get a lot of the stuff out. Um, and reuse again, or strategically plan things so you're not sort of cooking, I don't know, maybe a baking in what in the well, pancakes in the pan that the bacon was just in maybe or that's a bad example that, that would work quite well but uh, <laughs> that same sort of thing maybe um yeah mixing too much but i do tend to carry it all back down with me um i tend to find that people are always asking to join me on these hikes to have some food but they're never really offering to to carry the load so um that's always welcome if you want to carry some of the washing down no or up yeah, which yeah. is preferable uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah we can do it's that always sure. welcome <laughs> we can do that um and well, the reason I'm in kind of the area at the moment is because we you have a film coming out, or it's been out for a while. Uh, as you talked uh, talk before we started recording, but um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, bless you. Thank you for mentioning that. It's um, yeah, so it's actually well, it's by the time this goes out, it'll have premiered. But it's uh, there's premiere tonight in Keswick um, for a short documentary piece about sort of my journey, the whole transition from that sort of um, obese, alcohol, alcoholic living, battling with sort of mental health issues to this sort of discovery of the fells, that new passion, and the subsequent addition of the cooking in the mountains, and, and, and I suppose the, the birth of the fell foodie. So a small, short piece that um, a local filmmaker, Garth, Garth Jew, based in Lancaster, reached out to me back in, in 2018 to, to make this piece after hearing about my story, which again, another sideswipe. I mean, I'd never have imagined sort of this, this journey I'm going through that, again, you're just you're doing it for yourself, and then this interest comes from, from further afield and external. And it's led on to the point that a few delays, but eventually we got it filmed in between the lockdowns in COVID, um, up on Philippe with Pike, a more condensed film than we originally planned, um, but finally having a nice sort of premiere moment for it for it um, this evening. So it's something that, yeah, it's kind of, it will be available online by the time this goes out, so there will be links to it there as well to watch online and bits of um, a short piece that, that, that I would appreciate anyone checking out. But it's just been nice to have this moment, this physical moment, I guess, of sharing this, well, I've got a lot of close friends and family who are attending. Um, so it's a chance, really, for me to really provide that, which I have done many times over the years, of course, but that, that thanks again for really this journey and now seeing it documented in video form. Well, well I'm, uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, and, and obviously, once it's live, we'll, we'll put it up in it and show notes to this end. Who's listening to this, can, um, uh, can, we'll, we can link to it. Um, yeah, you touched on it there, but how did it feel making a making an actual <laughs> documentary of of the journey, like having it in, in, in a video format? Yeah, they're odd to me. I mean, again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm quite well versed, I guess, these days of sort of speaking through it. I mean, initially when you're going through it, I mean, you don't really maybe come to terms with, with exactly what has happened, but these days maybe speaking more interviews and podcasts and even that sort of video bit was... Yeah, it sometimes feels if you're going through those steps again, it can feel, again, that draining or quite quite emotionally tough because you are putting yourself back in those exact moments of, of the darkest days and you and you, and you live them, so you, you, you instantly memorise those moments. But the doc, again, it was it was sort of interview format where we sort of spoke through the story separately and then did what I do these days and head out into the hills and had a cook. So I guess the two were slightly separated that then come together in the video format so it was kind of the the full spectrum and then really the uplifting show of what is my passion now and heading out there so that bit was obviously cracking yeah. out there just doing what i do enjoying it and 
out with a good team of people as well. So Garth was there with the two of the chats, Ben and Shay, who came out to help out as well and just had a good day on the mountains, really. Do you think they were just looking for a good feed? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's possibly always that. Although, firstly, they had quite a bit of kit to carry as well. Yeah, so well, yeah, they, uh, they were more deserving than some of the previous uh, people that have joined me. Name me yeah. no names. <laughs> um, and, and beyond that, what's the? I know you've had a, a couple of uh, busy months recently with uh, different uh, festivals, etc. But beyond that, what, what does the, the future hold for? Harrison Ward or Phil Foody or uh, both? Like, what, do you just, do you well? Do you separate them? Is Phil Foody you, or or do you have to put Phil Foody as a as a as a different thing? As, a, as maybe a wee bit of a deep question. No, no, it's fine. Well, I guess it is me, isn't it? I guess it's it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's me. It's become a bit of a brand as well, I guess. But it, but it is ultimately me. And I think when people ask what I do these days, I mean, this has now become my livelihood. I mean, as of, as of January, the start of the year, this is now my full time entity. Um, it's just grown so much in those bits of doing demonstrations. I do a lot of corporate talks about my journey, um, brand, brand-based bits as well as demonstrations with the cooking equipment. So quite multifaceted. But when people ask what I do, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I'm just me, really. That's what I do. I'm just me. I just do what I do. And to be in that position now is it, fantastic and, and something that would never really be possible years back, I don't think, um, in this capacity. I mean, I suppose that's the internet for you. But... In the future, I don't know. I mean, I've had some fantastic moments, moments of late, I guess, with some potential um, some sponsors that have come in, I guess, and being on lots of um, having a, a national television appearance last year on sort of BBC One with Mary Berry, which was which was a huge, huge moment. I mean, bonkers, absolutely bonkers. And again, sharing that story again publicly now, so we're on a massive platform mm-hmm. out there talking about it. And and some great bits, again, meeting some great people, enjoying some great bits, um, and just really just being able to enjoy more and more of this of this passion for mine so looking ahead it's difficult to say isn't it i mean there was so long that really i didn't imagine getting to this point i mean you know i even had sort of self-imposed deadlines to myself at reaching the age of 30 and if i didn't have certain goals in mind and that was that was it that was my expiration period and we've passed that period now i'm happy to say i don't feel that same way um as i did then so everything's really been a bit of a bonus i guess it's living one day at a time as i do with sort of my sobriety and things and Trying to move on with that, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what comes. There's some fantastic opportunities to speak, fantastic festivals, great people to meet, new mountains to climb. And, uh, That's that, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know. You come to Scotland? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Come to Scotland and I'll carry some stuff up. Happy days. That sounds good to me. But <laughs> I don't do come it. enough, to be fair. I've done various bits, but yeah. I mean, again, quite a good base in Cumbria for sort of both uh, both the Welsh Hills, the Lake District, and Scotland. Yeah, yeah it's quite central. But yeah. it's, um, yeah, I'd love to do more with some of the, the bigger boys up there. We'll make that plan. Um, well, I know you're busy and you've got the film out tonight, or uh, and, and it'll be uh, it's Alpkit. They've they've helped you a little bit with that, and yeah, they? um, they're hosting screens tonight. Yeah, so the yep. guys at Alpkit Keswick know quite well, and the rest of the yep. team. Um, but I'm looking forward to it, and um, thank you for for sitting down with me, and thank you uh, talking about your story. I, I can't imagine it's easy. I know you you've you've done it a lot in the past, but um. um your your six years has been well worth it, I think. <laughs> I would suggest, and um, yeah, well done. <laughs> I don't know if you need to say, to say that. That's a, no, it's grand. But uh, yeah, it's been great to talk to you. It's been great to hear the story and and, and kind of the in depth of the story. And I hope other people kind of hear it uh, and and can use it, uh, as I know you've you've done in the past. But um, thank you. No, thank you for giving it a platform. No, no problem. Thanks, Take care. We'll catch up soon.
Thank you.